This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. The following program contains mature subject matter. Viewer discretion is advised. You, our viewers, are choosing the topics. It's your chance to... From... Is it normal to... When taking a poop? I'm telling you right now, that would not be a good thing. To... My jaw always clicks, and I'm really starting to get worried that I'm causing permanent damage. Plus, the answer that could save your life. You can bleed the duck. No topic is off limits in Ask the Doctors. That's today. Today, you, our viewers, are choosing the topics. Whether you wrote an email, asked us on social media, or are here in our studio audience, it's your show, your chance to... I want to start things off with a question from Facebook. John asks, doctors, is it normal to get an erection when taking a poop? All right. My, my, my thoughts exactly, but having said that, it happens. This is a question that's legitimate. Yes. Men want to know the answer to, so we asked urologist Dr. Dudley Danoff to weigh in. He joins us. All right, doc. I, I mean, the, the verbiage here, erection while taking a poop, it's, it's hard to visualize without having a little bit of discomfort, but is this normal? Uh, well, uh, it's not abnormal. Uh, there's nothing abnormal. It's unusual, but nothing abnormal. Uh, all the nerves are intact. Uh, all the endocrine function is intact. The anatomy is intact. Vascular structure is intact. Uh, I think it's embarrassing. I mean, if the only time you can get an erection is while you're taking but, but a poop. There, but, but, but is there any necessarily well, the only I mean, the time nerves, the nerves, these, these, Right? It's probably just sometimes. Maybe it's more of a psychological aspect or he's thinking about something else. He's multitasking. I mean, look, it's, it's very odd. I don't think there's anything unusual about it. Usually we're concentrating on doing our thing, but uh, there's certainly nothing medically wrong with having an erection. But, it, but I think w one of the questions that is a legitimate one is let's just theoretically say that, that you're, like John, having this happen. Is there something about the act of having a bowel movement that might make some guys susceptible to, have, susceptible to having an erection? Because the one thing I will say is it is, it is not a great time to have an erection oh. because men combine the two activities. Number one and two happen together. And if the uh, penis is pointed that direction, and uh, it's a problem. And also, with an erect penis, it's very difficult to urinate. So this would be a, a, a fairly troublesome thing if this happened every single time. This I'm, is what it's like to be mess. a guy because you're not. If you're trying, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just trying to get through. I'm well, like, you're, oh. men, men, there you go. I mean, it's not the penis when you're sitting on the toilet to have a bowel movement. You don't want it pointed that way. You it, you know you want it pointed. Yes. So, that so, so Dr. Danoff, let's say you are in this situation. What is your advice to your male patients as to how to maybe bring things back down? Well, I, I mean, <laughs> think about that bowel movement, not what else you were exactly. thinking about. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Danoff, I mean, I, I guess it's normal to have up to 11 erections per day for men. 
Uh, that that is true. Well, and, I guess I'm of, done for the day then. TMI, baby. And I met my quota. Many of those are not. Uh, we, many of those are what we call nocturnal erections. So we have sure. many erections during the, our sleep that we're unaware of. But you could actually monitor that. But it's very common, uh, from little babies to older men. We use that test to sometimes separate psychological impotence from physical impotence, uh, called nocturnal penile tumescence. All the psychological factors are gone, and if a man gets an erection during the night. Uh, we know that the arteries, veins, nerves, endocrine function, everything is intact. So it's a, a phenomenon and a very interesting diagnostic. So, Dr. Diagnostic. Danoff, I mean, that's a good barometer of your health, right? Uh, uh, that's exactly right. So if a man or, comes in with ED... Or in some ways, I think what you're saying also is if you happen to have an erection while you're having a bowel movement... All, it, that's one of your 11 saying, of the day. Yeah, he's saying it's normal, but it's just not typical. Well, yes, also, men exactly have talked about the men G-spot, the male G-spot, right? Drew, you've, you've had a massage well, maybe times it on the show before. To do with stimulation while you were singing Barry White, you remember. <laughs> 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 but, I, look, I, I, I would say the one thing, if this happened every single time you were having a bowel movement, it would be troublesome. This would be one of those things. So if that were the case, would, would it be a matter of... I'm just going to ask the question. If this were an issue for you and... <laughs> You were having difficulty making your erection go away. Do you, at that point, self-pleasure? Do you? Like, what, what, what do you? What, what do you do if that's the scenario? Because I'm telling you right now, that would not be a good thing. If every single time you have a number two movement, if you had an erection, that would yeah, be. Yeah, but I think it's going to be a short lived self-limiting thing. I think it's related to the well, bomb and then it well, goes well I, said, I think that if it happens every single time, and we say this time and time again on the show, is just please see a urologist, see a doctor, yeah. have it checked out. In 11 years now, that that's one of the more bizarre out there questions that, that we've hmm. received, but I think if someone's worried about it and you truly don't have an answer, go talk to your urologist, Dr. Danoff. We always appreciate your input. It's a pleasure. I want to move on to another question. This one's via Facebook from Mike. My nose has been bleeding for years. I went to my family doc and a hospital, but for some reason it bleeds almost every other day. I can be doing nothing, or I wake up and my pillow will have blood on it. What's causing it? Well, almost every day is not good. I mean, most of us are going to have a nosebleed during the course of our life, and it's, it's not that unusual. Not all nosebleeds are the same, as you know, in the ER. You can have a mild nosebleed, it's a nuisance. Whereas you can have nosebleeds that literally you can bleed out and bleed to death. So there's a big variation. In general, we classify no nosebleeds as being towards the front of the nose, so-called anterior bleeds, or posterior bleeds in the back of the nose. As a rule of thumb, the younger the patient, the more likely you are to have bleeds from the front of the nose, so-called anterior bleeds. And I'm going to demonstrate an anterior bleed for you. And this really can freak you out. If you're getting these all the time and it's dripping, it's, it can be a real nuisance. So, you know, you've got to figure out what is causing it. In kids, Typically, it's the nose drying out and then picking the nose. In adults, it gets a little bit trickier. It, it can, it can like, likewise be a deviated septum, allergies ca causing dryness in the nose. 
especially associated with a deviated septum, which just increases the drying. But it could also and be a blood clotting problem and or certain if you're that's a, yeah. a that blood is, thinner. That's the issue. It could be a sign of, of high blood pressure. You have severe uncontrolled hypertension can present as a nosebleed, and typically those are posterior nosebleeds, and those are can be life-threatening and very difficult to treat. As You, you know, remember. well, mm -hmm. you read about them in medical school, and then in the ER, I had a patient with such a severe posterior nosebleed that you're talking about not only life-threatening, but you have to put a breathing tube in because the patient is literally asphyxiating on their own blood because it is literally control gushing that, that much yeah. and just flowing into their airway. So you, you have to control the airway. So... I, I think what you're saying is if you're having a nosebleed every day, every other day... You need to be evaluated and determine the cause. So the, and, go see an ear, nose, and throat specialist. Yeah. He's going to look inside your nose. He's going to pinpoint where that bleeding point is. If it is towards the front of the nose, one of these anterior bleeds, cauterizing it should take care of the problem. He's going to want to check your blood pressure. He's going to ask you questions like, are you bruising easily? Are you bleeding when you go to the dentist, for example? All signs of an underlying uh, bleeding disorder. But in general, if you're having one of these mild nosebleeds, the wrong thing to do is pinch your nose and lean back. You want to lean forward in sort of the sniffing position, pinch your nose for a good 10 minutes. That's very important. The other thing is, if you're having significant nosebleeds, you want to quantitate how much blood and you see this all the time in the emergency room. They'll come in with towels to show you how much blood they've lost. That's important information. It is important. One thing I want to add, number one, personal story. I always had nosebleeds growing up, and so I did I. all the wrong things. Mm. I tilted my head back. I think that's sort of the instinct, right? Everybody seems you to think You tilt the head back, part. and plus, yeah. I would pinch my nose too far posterior where... You know, the cartilage is, and it would just keep bleeding and bleeding. And the thing I've seen the most often in the ER is that and you've seen this too, is people, when they pinch their nose, you know, they might pinch mild anterior nosebleed. They'll pinch for about 15 seconds. Is it done? <laughs> and all you're doing is pinching, letting go, and, and if anything, irritating them more and more by constantly doing this. So go ahead and, and hold it for a stretch. And we say sometimes up to 10 minutes yes. mm -hmm. to, to really cause that clotting to take place. If you're doing that and you're doing it right and then it still doesn't stop, well, then, then that's when you have to go seek help. Mm -hmm. But what's crazy is all of us now doctors, all the mistakes I made with blo uh, bloody noses growing up, every single one, I made them all. And it was terrible because well, it just... You, you, didn't, you couldn't yeah. watch the doctors back then. <laughs> Well, and, and the truth is, we didn't know any better. So this is one of those where you can save yourself a, lo a lot of... What do you think really quickly about, for someone with these mild anterior nosebleeds, do you recommend using saline just to keep things moist in there? Well, so absolutely. More... You check, you know, treat underlying allergies. Make sure that your environment is, is moist. Use a humidifier if necessary. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you keep that end of your nose right in here nice and moist with yeah. either Vaseline or neosporin. That can make all yeah. the difference, right? I think, all the I think a lot of moms do this. And right don't pick those scabs. Put petroleum ointment in there, and that's kind of going to Exactly, keep it and, and you have to keep doing, keep doing until that scab falls off naturally mm -hmm. on its own, and it should heal over. But having daily nosebleeds, you can't live like that. So obviously get it checked out if you're worried about it. More head. Coming up. It's just really hard to wake up when your pants don't fit, especially being 17. Ask the Doctors takes on an emotional topic. 
Then... It sounds and it feels like little bones are crushing, and I'm really starting to get worried that I'm causing permanent damage. No topic is off limits in Ask the Doctors. That's coming up. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Today we're answering all of your questions. And this next question comes from someone in the audience. Lily, what's your question? Well, I basically have had this rare skin disease called pimpagitis foliaceus for about five years now, and it starts as a blister, and then it pops and leaves raw skin, and then it leaves a scar, and it has a like a burning, itchy feeling, and I'm 17 years old, and I have a lot of stress already applying to colleges and just doing schoolwork, and this adds more stress, and I just don't think any kid should deal with this. Basically, my question is, am I going to have this the rest of my life? Is there any solutions? Well, I'm glad you came here, and I'm glad you asked the question. And before we get to that, I know it's your mom, Lori, sitting next to you. So, Lori, I'm assuming as a mom, it's hard to watch your daughter go through this. Very difficult. Medications are very expensive, you know, and it's, it's, it's very hard. You know what would be convenient right now? Is if my favorite dermatologist in the whole world was sitting next to me. Thank you. Thank you for picking her because I can't even pronounce that disease. Well, and and the fact, honestly, that, Lily, you're having to even know how to pronounce these terms that none of us even learned until medical school says enough. So what do you say? Would you two want to come up here and Dr. Batra, would you be willing to take a look? Of course. Lily, come on up. Lori, come on up. Let's take a peek. Dr. Butler, you can do this. I have all the faith in the world in you. So, Lily, I first want to just thank you for coming on and being so brave to share this, especially as a 17-year-old. Like you said, you have so much on your plate. Having to learn how to diagnose a disorder like pemphigus foliaceus is, is challenging, and it's hard to reveal this and show people what's going on. But what I see here are kind of crusted sores. And so with pemphigus foliaceus, this is actually an autoimmune condition. This is nothing you did wrong. This is not contagious. Mom, it's nothing you did either. It's where the body produces proteins against the connections between the top and the middle layer of your skin. And when your body produces those antibodies and starts to attack, then it shears really easily and you get these very superficial blisters. And those easily get denuded. They get kind of opened up, which can be doorways for bacteria and infection. They can sometimes be really itchy and uncomfortable as well. So you have them here, I see, on your chest and your shoulders. And turning around, I can see that you actually have kind of a flare going on on your back. Is this uncomfortable for you, Lily? Yes, very. Tell us about the symptoms. How does it feel? Um, They're itchy. It burns. It's just really painful. Like when there's clothes pressing against it, it's hard to move. It's even hard to sleep because if I lay on them a certain way, it hurts and I can't sleep. Mm-hmm. And then I understand you've tried some medications for this. What have you tried? Prednisone uh-huh. and um, Celsep. Okay. Um, and then other ointments. The prednisone is really hard on her body. 
Yes, it makes my bones hurt. You can talk to me. And it like, it's hard to move sometimes, like to do exercises, because I feel just weak and very fatigued. And it also causes me to like gain weight. So one day like my pants will fit and then they won't. And it's just really hard to wake up when your pants don't fit, especially being 17. Yeah, no, I, I understand. And we can't unfortunately cure this as yet, but there are very effective long-term maintenance that can hopefully put this in remission. So you're not always dealing with these really uncomfortable, painful, crusted spots that embarrass you. And especially in olive-toned skin, it often will leave darker footprints that last much longer than the original sores. So the goal will be to prevent these from coming up in the first place. Um, I know, Mom, that it's been really challenging to pay for the mycophenolate for the steroid sparing agent. Um, Tell me a little bit about your experience with that. You first tried it. Um, it worked um, with her taking a high dose of the prednisone also. Mm -hmm. And they started tapering off the prednisone. And they would come back sporadically. And then after the first round of the Celsept, my insurance, you know, wouldn't cover it anymore. Then the spots come back, or, you know, the pemphigitis comes back and then it's it's difficult you know because then she has to start the whole routine all over again when she just takes the prednisone if she tapers off it doesn't work she gets major flare-ups well I think the long-term management goal will be to very gradually taper you down off the steroids and make it sustainable for you to remain on the non-steroid immune suppressive agents because this is an autoimmune condition. It is something that you're going to be managing for the long term, but I think it, I understand that it's been such a barrier mm -hmm. trying to get this paid for and to manage the, the follow-up. Yeah. So our goal is to get you on as low a dose and hopefully off the steroids as possible. So we reached out to Dylan Center, CEO of Spective VR, and he's gifting you with $5,000 that you can use towards your medications, treatments, and doctor visits. And, and we really hope that that's a step in the right direction towards regular follow-up, yes. continuity with the same doctor who understands and knows your condition and can work with you to get you down off the steroids, get this well controlled. And we'd love to see you back, hopefully, when this is better controlled, hopefully in college, maybe, yes. with all those great things that you have ahead. Thank so. you so much. Thank you so much. Stick around. We'll be right back. Coming up. It sounds and it feels like little bones are crushing, and I'm really starting to get worried that I'm causing permanent damage. No topic is off limits in Ask the Doctors. Then. This year, when she went to her spring dance, she was in a 36 double D, and she had to wear two bras. Breast reduction for teens? That's coming up. Coming tomorrow. A recent study claims women are more attracted to sexist men. We have the shocking details. This can be harming women's ability to really gain equality. That's tomorrow. Today we're answering your questions and solving your medical mysteries, including your dental dilemmas. Cosmetic dentist Dr. Lawrence Rifkin joins us once again. Thank you, sir. Thank you. The artist himself. Thank you. Thank you. And a lot of people have questions that they want to ask the doctors, and our staff is not immune to health woes. Carly is one of our researchers. She's backstage with a jaw-dropping question. Hey, Carly, what's going on? Hey. 
So on the job, I'm always talking to guests and I'm always on the phone, but my jaw always clicks like that. It makes a disgusting sound. It sounds and it feels like little bones are crushing and I'm really starting to get worried that I'm causing permanent damage. I'm wondering, is there anything I can do to stop the pip popping? Good question. Great yeah, that's question. a great question. I, I get that quite often. A lot of patients come in and they have clicking jaws and it can be actually something that's very innocuous and it could be something that could be a little bit more serious. Most of the time it's very innocuous. There's a basic number of causes. It could be something from a trauma, from an accident, getting hit in the face. It could be actually osteoarthritis in the joints. It could be from a bad bite where your teeth and your jaws are in conflict and they don't fit together, so you're constantly fighting that movement. And in the joint itself, you know, you have a little, little So, Dr. Murphy, you're talking yes. about our temporal mandibular joint, That's right? right. Our so-called jaw joint, which is so overlooked. We talk about elbow joints and knee joints and right. hip joints. Right. Very important joint. I mean, think we're using it all the time when we talk, when we eat. Talk, eating, swallowing, all those things. It has to brace itself inside the skull. And there's a little disc that fits in between the little ball and socket on each side of the jaw joint. Mm -hmm. And the muscles can be in conflict. You can have a bad bite between where the teeth fit and where the jaws fit. So the important thing for, especially for Carly and anybody, is to diagnose what the cause is or what the problem is. She came into the office and very concerned about what's going to happen to my jaw joints, my temporomandibular joints. Uh, and fortunately for her, it was very minor, and, but the proper thing was to do a thorough diagnosis. But to do the diagnosis, you have to do a thorough exam, you listen to the joint with a stethoscope, and we actually also take a three-dimensional cone beam CT scan, mm. which uh, you can see uh, Carly is sitting there very still, and we take a nice image, we get a three-dimensional image of the joints, mm -hmm. and if you can read the radiology and look at these joints, she has an absolutely normal joint on both sides of her jaw. So what is actually happening is she has a really hypermobile, anatomically she's developed a really wide open, so she can move that jaw joint and move the ball and socket out of position. So is that almost like position. popping your knuckles where it's exactly. been Exactly, yeah. Is the red flag when you're having pain, is that the biggest red flag or are there other red flags to look out for? Well, the crunching is not a good sound. There's things called crepitus. There's different types of terminology for it. You just have to diagnose it, look at the joint. Is there actually derangement or damage to the joint, or is it basically muscle pain? Sometimes it's just the muscles themselves are in spasm. And if you clench your teeth, you're gonna get more pain, usually in the muscles. Some of the cures, and especially for Carly, is after we diagnose it and she has a normal joint, is to really just relax the muscles. Uh, how do you relax the muscles? Stretching, opening your mouth wide, moving it left and right, trying not to intake too much caffeine before you go to sleep and eat too much. That tends to make us clench and brucks our teeth. Uh, wearing a night guard, which is a, a appliance that fits something like this uh, on the upper teeth usually. And uh, by doing that, you put the interface in between the teeth. You kind of position the jaw correctly. And in doing so, the jaw somewhat relaxes. You protect the teeth. Sometimes people have even come and had botulinum toxin to relax the muscle as well, Absolutely. especially if they're clenching and getting an overactivity that the muscle that's causing pain. Exactly right, because sometimes just wearing a night guard itself is not enough to break the cycle of spasm in the muscle, so Botox is often injected. I've had it done in my jaws, my masseter muscles here, and it does relax the muscle. Show muscles. us why the masseter muscle is. Masseter right. muscle is this one right here, as you feel right, the hard part of your cheek right here. When you clench your teeth together, you could probably feel it in your own jaw and you feel it muscle when you squeeze your teeth together. We put a little botulinum toxin in a couple locations in this muscle. You can still chew, you can still smile, you can still eat, talk. It just relaxes that spasm just as if it was anywhere else in your body. As far as mouth guards go, mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people just go buy them off the shelf. Do you want to see a true specialist when it comes to TMJ if you've got pain developing in that area? 
to get the right diagnosis and, and maybe mouth guard for you? Absolutely, because where you position the jaw and how your teeth come together and actually starting with the proper diagnosis will determine whether you need something more extensive or something very minimalistic. In Carly's situation, it's really just a hypermobile joint. She's developed with a wide opening and some clenching. That's all her problem is. So to get the over-the-counter ones is not going to position the jaw correctly and there's no diagnosis. And you there. could end up worsening the problem, so be careful yeah. of that. Carly, I want to see your most relaxed jaw look right now. Oh, nice. <laughs> well done, Carly. Right <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Wilson. Really appreciate it. We'll be right back. Coming up. This year, when she went to her spring dance, she was in a 36 double D, and she had to wear two bras. Breast reduction for teens, then a doctor's checkup. Was it the best thing because it solved your incontinence issues or because of the orgasmic nature? That's coming up. Coming tomorrow. A recent study claims women are more attracted to sexist men. We have the shocking details. This can be harming women's ability to really gain equality. Then, apparently something good has been happening when it comes to kids and technology. In this case, we can be really encouraged. Plus, in an emergency, what number do you call? A 12-year-old boy recently called emergency dispatchers to complain his parents had served him. And then on Monday, we're live in the OR with a groundbreaking alternative to open heart surgery. There it is. It's going around the OR. Then the average American consumes up to 152 pounds of sugar a year. We've got the recipe for slimming down. That's Monday. Closed captioning provided by... It's still your show and your turn again to ask the doctors. And our next question comes from Lisa, who joins us on Skype. Lisa, welcome. Good to have you. What's your question? Well, I am a mom of fraternal twin daughters, and they're 13 years old. And I was very concerned about one of their breast tissue. She seems to be growing at a rapid pace. Uh, she's not the same size as her sister or even her classmates. About a year ago, she was in a 36B. This year, when she went to her spring dance, she was in a 36 double D, and she had to wear two bras in the dress. My question is, is she too young to have a breast reduction. Your daughter has a condition that we call gigantomastia or virginal hypertrophy of the breast. And what we typically see is a real rapid growth of the breast starting when menstrual periods start anywhere from 11 to 14 years of age. It sounds like this is what's going on. Now, as a plastic surgeon, we, we do these surgeries all the time. Big question is, if, if your daughter has stayed at the same size for at least a year, that means that she's probably stopped growing and would be a candidate to think about doing breast reduction surgery. And the way to deal with this would be a discussion with you, probably your pediatrician, and getting a plastic surgeon uh, involved as well to discuss the options. Dr. Orton, would you, before you necessarily went that route, and Lisa, I don't know if you've already had this done, would you want to do a hormonal workup on her first? Just yes, to make and sure? we typically do that. In most cases of gigantomastia like this, hormones are 
perfectly normal. In this case, we did find thyroid hormone was a little bit low. That, that is, is not playing a part in the breast development. Sounds like what I'm hearing from you, though, is that you certainly would not want to have a breast reduction surgery during the growth phase of the breast. You, you would want to wait until things egg. have stabilized in terms of breast growth. Exactly. That you want to make sure that that, that growth has, has stabilized. You basically know what size you're dealing with. And, you know, for most women, you do this, this procedure, you do a breast reduction, it does not grow back. But it can. It can. That is a possibility. That's, need, that's something you need to know going in. But by all means, I think it's something to definitely investigate. Thank you so much. It kind of puts me at ease. Well, we're not done yet. We spoke with plastic surgeon Dr. Caroline Chester, who's right in your own hometown, and we've arranged for a consultation and preliminary diagnostic testing at no cost to you and your family. Thank you. You're in good hands. Thank you. Let us Thank know you how so you do. Thank you, Lisa, for reaching out to the show. We wish you nothing but the best, as well as your daughters. I'm really, that was a wonderful answer, Drew. Yeah. That was, no, I think well, that's something you. that confuses so many individuals well, out there I, because you know, it's, it, it is. Tough, tough for a woman. I've seen a younger women being, you know, sensitive during such a crucial part mm -hmm. of their lives and, you know, being overly large is one thing, but something we see more of is where one breast develops and the other doesn't. Very hard to fit in clothes. That's another category where we consider operating on teenagers because it's such an important mm -hmm. time of their life. Absolutely. And I, I think she underestimated, I mean, these, we measured, and these breasts were more like 38 Gs. That's, I mean, that's, that's huge. Tissue. As a young woman having to deal with that, that's 13. tough. Yeah. And as I've learned on the show, all of that tissue and the weight over time on your back and your spine and your chest wall and breathing is so important to be addressed. We do have time for one more quick question in the segment, and it comes down to raising a child. It comes with a thousand, am I doing this right questions, just like this one from Riley. Hi, this is my son, Lucas. He's three months old. We started to notice that he didn't love tummy time and now his head is getting flat. Is there any tips you have on how to reverse it? Pediatric occupational therapist Lisa Lewis joins us in the audience. Thank you for being with us. Of course. Awesome. So Riley obviously has a specific question regarding her baby, but a lot of parents out there have similar. What, what can Riley do? Absolutely. Well, the first thing I would say is that this is very common and very treatable. So uh, plagiocephaly or flathead syndrome is prevalent right now in about 47% of the infant population. And we've seen a large increase in it since the back to sleep movement in the 90s. And what that means is in a reduction of SIDS, put your child on their back to sleep to avoid suffocation and entrapment with other things in the crib. So one of the things that can be done is to increase your tummy time, have them off of their back as much as possible when they're awake. The American Association of Pediatrics actually has their saying of back to sleep, tummy to, to play. So when they're awake, they should be off of their backs and on their tummy and doing tummy time and exploring everything to get the pressure off of the back of the head. Because we see plagiocephaly really happening due to the excess 
external pressure because our baby's infant, our baby's skulls are so soft. But what, so, what, Lisa, as a parent, I know that, so there's a lot of pressure in terms of the back to sleep. Yes. But there are also all these devices like beanies and pillows and all these kind of items on the market that supposedly help address this. What are right. your thoughts on that? Well, again, American Academy of Pediatrics does not want anything in the crib, period, um, because you want to avoid the suffocation. And as far as these pillows and these devices, I would recommend spending your money elsewhere okay. because repositioning is really the number one treatment. And then tummy time. And if things get to an, a more extreme case, then you go see an orthotist for it. So if playtime is tummy time, but you have a baby who doesn't love the tummy time, what do you do? What are some tips? My first tip is get down on the floor with them. They are just communicating with you if they're making noises. Unless they're hysterically crying, they're just telling you that it's hard for them. They don't like it. It's a different position. They're having to use all of these muscles that they're not using when they're on their back. And tummy time doesn't only have to be done on the floor. You can do tummy time when you're doing skin to skin and you can be laying down and have your infant on your chest. And you can do tummy time with your hands when you're holding your infant. You can hold them in kind of what I call a football hold. So they're on their stomach and they're still in that position because they still have to use those neck muscles to move around. And it's still against gravity, which is what we're looking for. And Lisa, at what age should, if this is getting worse or it's not improving, at what age should you see an occupational therapist? So I would recommend first speaking with your pediatrician because that's always the first line of defense. And then at a, if definitely by four months, if repositioning has not shown a good increase, I would go to a physical therapist or an occupational therapist. Sometimes plagiocephaly can be related with torticollis, which is due to a shortening of the neck muscle. And you see the child has a preference to one side, which is why you see the flatness on one side of their head versus the other. A physical therapist or an occupational therapist can give you exercises to do. You do them every time you change the diaper. They're very quick. I actually did them with my own daughter. And then if, it's, if you're still seeing the flatness, I would recommend going to see an orthotist to get a dock band helmet, which are specifically created for your child. And the good news in most of these kids that have a, a little bit of plagiocephaly, flat, flat head in the back, as they grow because the, the suture lines, the bone isn't fused, it should self-correct. Absolutely. And it's supervised tummy time. Make sure you're there and you're watching them to make sure that if they're having a hard time turning their head left or right, you can be there to assist. Thank or you, turn Lisa. Really appreciate your input. Let's take a quick break. Coming up, a doctor's checkup. Is it the best thing because it solved your incontinence issues or because of the orgasmic nature? Then... It usually takes about six months for your nail to grow from cuticle to tip. The good, the bad, and the brittle. That's coming up. Closed captioning provided by... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following program contains mature subject matter. Viewer discretion is advised. Two women began to treat a medical condition that affects millions of people all by sitting in a chair. What could they be treating? Urinary incontinence. My urine, like, was very frequent. And I would have drip, drip, drip. And if someone tells me a joke, it's, it's, I'm done. It's yeah. really bad. It's an FDA-approved device that uses electromagnetic waves and gives over 12,000 contractions in about 28 minutes. And I'm just wondering, ladies, how does this feel? It feels almost like an orgasm. Whoa! <laughs> I'm pretty happy about that. That clip <laughs> earlier in the season, that was Kitty who was suffering from incontinence issues. How is she doing today? You're about to find out in our doctor's checkup. Kitty. What's the update? I'm awesome. It was so great. It was the chair was the best thing that could happen to me. <laughs> Wait, was it the best thing because it, it solved your incontinence issues or because of the orgasmic nature? Yeah, yeah, both. It's just so awesome. So what you do is you sit in the Amcella chair and this is the woohoo and this is the beam. Electric beam goes up and it's contract and release. So you get 12,000 kegels in 28 minutes. I don't wow. think I could do that many in a year. <laughs> so, Kitty, tell us now how you're doing. What is your life like now? Oh, my God. Before, my life was being controlled by PP urges. Now I'm totally free. I was going to the bathroom three and four times a night, and I'm one of those people that if I sleep and wake up, it takes me 20, 30 minutes to go back to sleep. So I get the best sleep now. I wake up feeling like a princess. And just simple things like going to the beach. <laughs> I don't like to wear a bathing suit to the beach because I like to protect my skin. So I can't do the run in the water and, you know, eliminate <laughs> without a bathing suit. So I'm just enjoying life. This is such a joy to hear the joy in your voice. <laughs> Honestly, in all the updates and the fact that this is non-invasive and you're sitting for 28 minutes in a chair and you're having an orgasmic feeling while oh, it's potentially helping your And I was on incontinent. mid-level. <laughs> Dr. Hedison asked me, do you want to go high level? I said no, because it will no longer be a daytime show. Keep it in the middle. <laughs> Keep it in the Whether you're looking into getting this procedure or not, if it's deemed correct for you, you can prime those pelvic floor muscles yourself by doing these Kegel exercises. And... If you did that to prime it, you get this treatment, you hopefully could have a result like Kitty. This is just so fabulous, and I'm so happy for you. Enjoy life. Yeah, I almost want to try this machine out just for fun. Well, just to check it out. I know. Aren't you curious? Well, I'm now? very curious. There are applications for men as well yeah. with with difficulty holding your urine and some prostate issues. This is a game changer for a lot of people who have this type of incontinence. Thank you, Kitty, for the update. Thank you, Kitty. We'll be right back. Coming up. It usually takes about six months for your nail to grow from cuticle to tip. The good, the bad, and the brittle. Plus, the only show on TV where everyone at home has a chance to enter to win the Word of the Day giveaway. Find out what it is. That's next. 
We're answering all of your questions today. Throughout the show, nothing is off limits. And this is an email we received from Linda in Costa Mesa, California. She writes, I wore fake nails for many years, but I haven't had them for over 10 years. My nails will not grow at all. They crack and split all the time, driving me crazy. They keep catching on my clothing and everything. What can I do? Now, in this case, are we talking about, you think, acrylics? Well, I think she used acrylics, and it's true that when you do apply that fake plate on top of your nail, they usually have to really weaken the underlying nail. They have to rough it up so that the plate will adhere, and that really does disrupt the underlying nail. It opens you up to infections around the nail fold because bacteria can get in. Now, I think Linda's case is a little different, though, because even though she may have damaged the matrix, which is down in the cuticle where the nail is made all those years ago, it's been 10 years, and so it usually takes about six months for your nail to grow from cuticle to tip. So unless she initially sustained a lot of damage down in these nail-producing cells, at this juncture, I might actually wonder more about her nutritional issues, because we can see this kind of change in brittleness in the nails, in women especially, because women are more likely to be anemic because of menstrual periods. Sometimes people will have nutritional deficiencies in their B vitamins. Um, so I think that before I would just chalk it up to permanent damage from the artificial nails, I would just want to see her check her blood count, check her iron levels, maybe think about some of the nutritional supplements. And then the other occupational question is, what is she doing with her hands that might also be damaging those nails? If this gets back to when you, when you walk into a, a nail salon, just know everything, make sure everything's clean, make sure you're getting the right treatment for you. Just take care. That's our word of the day. So go to our website, thedoctorstv.com, and enter CARE for your chance to win a $125 gift card to Rawa Organic Rainforest Grown Hair and Body Care Products. That sounds pretty healthy. Well, I think you guys should all go home with it. You can't afford to miss what's coming up. Coming up. Get out your rubber gloves. It's time to clean house. We're making a house call on today's doctor's prescription. That's next. If you're ready to win big, join us in our studio audience. You could be part of our massive prize giveaway. So log on to our website at thedoctorstv.com or call us at area code 323-THE-DOCS. That's 323-THE-DOCS for show tickets. Come on and join us. Come on. It's time now for my doctor's prescription, but incidentally, I've been doing kegels for the last 10 minutes. I think I'm at about How 200. How are you feeling? I'm about 250 reps. I'm getting tired. Yeah, you're, you broke out in a little sweat oh, there. Okay, so I, I'm going to stop now and share today's prescription. Get out your rubber gloves. It's time to clean house. But before you start scrubbing, these are a few common cleaning mistakes that may leave you with an even germier house than you began with. First mistake, not cleaning your mattress. Your body heat, sweat, etc. that makes your mattress a potential breeding ground for fungal growth as well as dust mites, cause of a lot of allergies in folks and asthma as well. Invest in a mattress cover to seal your mattress and then once a month wash that cover. Another mistake, spraying cleaner directly on a surface instead of on the rag. Spraying on a rag, that's gonna help avoid product buildup on those surfaces. That product buildup can attract dirt and dust, and it'll help you lose, use overall less product by putting it directly on the rag. May save you some money. Last cleaning mistake, you don't disinfect your cutting board. The average cutting board has 200% more 
fecal bacteria than a toilet seat. Think about that for a moment. Your cutting board. Think about the last time you washed it. I'm never gonna look at my cutting board the same way again. <laughs> well, you can, Drew. Just make sure you wash it mm -hmm. appropriately. Not always okay to just wash simply with soap and water. Occasionally, since food particles can get in those crevices, right there are all these cuts. Bacteria love to get in there. If you spray it with 5% vinegar, you can leave that overnight. Then you can also disinfect it with alcohol, rinse it in the morning. That'll help get rid of some of those that build up because those colonies, yeah. they get in there and usually there's a little bit of sugar in there from the fruit that you've been they cutting. Love it. Mm -hmm. And, Ooh, I, and yes. I think that's an especially good point for the wood ones because I know the plastic ones you can just stick in your dishwasher and that's mm -hmm. usually fine, but the wood ones really do build up. All right, I'm back to doing my kegels. <laughs> All right. We're going to have these tips on our website as well as anything you may have missed on today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in.